Flip. Let's cut to the chase. Tell everybody where you're broadcasting from this week. Uh, I'm live from the Greenwich Hospital in Greenwich, Connecticut. <laughs> so why are you in the hospital? Well, why not? Well, actually, <laughs> Wait, for fun? I'm a, yeah, yeah, that's what I do for a good time. I uh, Actually, I, I slipped and fell, unfortunately, and I really did, did ruptured my uh, quad muscle in my left leg. And it's been, uh, it's been an interesting time, but uh, the doctors have been great at surgery, and uh, I'm going to be fine. The rehab is a little tough, but uh, we'll get through it. And uh, but it's been it's been crazy. I mean, I, it's hard to get any rest because some of the hospitals you can get rest. No, it doesn't work like that. You take your blood. Hi, I'm here to take your blood. Okay, take your blood. Hi, oh, this package is for you. Hi, I'm Doctor So and So, and I want to introduce myself. You know, I'll be the anesthesiologist, and it goes on and on and on, and everybody means well. But the only thing getting arrested, like, doesn't happen like that. And uh, so it's, it's, it's been kind of a crazy experience. So how did this happen? Well, it, well, what happened is I, I was trying to save an, uh, an animal in the wild. And, you know, actually what happened was uh, I was in my garage and there was, I was upset, but I missed it. And I fell. I was doing something heroic. But not for nothing. Hardly heroic. The sight of you saving an animal in the wild is pretty funny. Well, that's true. That's why I tried to say it. I mean, I, I don't know what kind of humor it would listen, but, but towards the end of the day, all you, listen, all you can do is, when something like that happens, is you show your determination, your grit to get better, so you make the best of it, and for me to make the best of it is have, have a little humor with it, because you to drive yourself crazy. Dang. So things happen in life. Some of them are not great. Some of them are not great. But you know what? It's not, it's not, it's not the end of the world as far. There's too many other things that could have happened that would have been worse. So you're like okay. you're like Cal Ripken over here. You can't even take a week off after having surgery. <laughs> I think Cal would appreciate that if he were here, but he's not. And can he come visit me? Surprisingly, like, surprise. Where's Cal Ripken? He's on my list of the, people that has to visit me. There's you, no breaking. Me? There's no Where breaking you? your three-week streak. <laughs> I would not have that happen. I've determined that uh, the podcast will go on. The show will go on. <laughs> Uh, so where are you? You've not come to visit me. Why not? Well, I'll come and visit. I got to get roses first. Oh, that's very sweet. How do you know I like roses? But that's okay. It's very nice. <laughs> that's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. So you... I'm, I'm very emotional now. <laughs> very nice. <laughs> In about ten minutes, I'm gonna cry. Oh, don't cry. Uh, what do you like? Roses or chocolates? Oh, chocolates. You know, I don't okay. need roses. What can do with them? But <laughs> chocolates. Oh my God. Bless you. That would be awesome. Don't tell my wife. This. I'm on a diet. You have that uh, I'm in the hospital voice going. So if anybody is, we're, we're fighting through the audio here, right? Yes, I'm sorry. I hope the audio is okay. I, I think we'll do all right. We'll do our best. Somebody who did not do their best, or maybe it was their best, I don't know, is the Baltimore Orioles against the Yankees. Ugly. Is that how you describe it? Uh, at least. I mean, listen, the Yankees after last year, the difference between the Yankees and the Red Sox, I've said before, last year was the fact that who played who got the best record against Baltimore in particular. And they did last year, I think they, 19 games, I think they were like 16 and three or, or 17 and two. I mean, and the, and the Yankees were far from that. The Yankees were something like uh, one or eight and uh, whatever difference with, with us, they said. But probably eight and 11. And what is, I can't do math. You can't do anyway, math. It's the drugs they, they got you on in the hospital. Absolutely. Absolutely. They're just starting to kick in, which is really going to make for a great show. But that's math right I now. can do. Come on. <laughs> anyway, the, I think the Yankees were, I don't know, the Yankees won 11 games. So 11, something like 11 and 8, something like that. I, I know I'm wrong. Anyway, the, that was the difference in the division with how many games the Red Sox were able to beat the Orioles and the Yankees were disappointing, a disappointing record against the Orioles. The Yankees now, this year, that's, they have maxed it. I mean, Yankees have just had a great year against the Orioles. I mean, how about Torres in particular? Play with Torres and just killed the Orioles. I've never seen one guy dominate. I've seen guys dominate teams before, but not the way he hits against the Orioles. It's kind of ridiculous how good he is against Baltimore. 13 home runs against Baltimore, which is ridiculous. Um, but people forget Gary Sanchez had 10 this season against the Orioles. You know, because he's missed so many games, I mean, his numbers are like sneaky spectacular. But if you really look at his numbers, I mean, had he stayed healthy, the numbers he would have put on the board would have been crazy. I always believed he was a monster offensively, and he could hold his own defensively. Not a great catcher defensively, but he's a good enough catcher defensively, especially this year. The Yankees have really worked with him to make it better. He's responded to the challenge of last year, and he's gotten better defensively. And you put that together with his offense, which has never, never ever been a question. He's a hack player when he's healthy, when he's on the field. But you know what? He's 
not always been on the field. That's why it's avoided Romine. Romine is, not, is more, much more than a backup catcher. Romine is like a 1A catcher. He's not the power Sanchez has, but he's, but he's a really good player. He's developed his offense, and he can, he's, I mean, he's an elite defensive catcher. So you put that together, and he's done a really good job. They're coming in for something. I don't know what they're doing here. Today. Not, what are you in for, sir? Say hello to me. Not I'm doing a podcast. Say hello. Oh, Hi. great. Mary? No, it's not like, it's not like, it's, 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 you can't oh, make this up. Uh, Mary, is this Mary? Hi, Mary. What are we doing here? Vitals. vitals. I'm here to think, so I was talking about doing vitals. This is like a blood pressure thing. And I, what else do they do? What else do you think about, Mary? Uh, temperature. Temperature. Heart rate. Heart rate. Oh, What's going on here? The Curtain Call Podcast. You get it all. Yeah, we do. We, we This is the medical insight of my life here right now. Which so, I know really no one wants to listen to. So, I'm going to uh, try and take control here. I don't know if it's going to work. The Yankees have a major league record 61 home runs against the Orioles. They are 17 right. and 2. 17 and 2 is ridiculous to me. That's 19 games against the Orioles when you have teams like the A's who are trying and fighting for a wild card spot. They only play the Orioles 6 times. When you look at that, I think it's unfair. What do you think, Flip? Well, some years it's unfair, some years it's not. Uh they play. They play a balanced schedule. They play an, excuse, an unbalanced schedule. But what that I mean is, yeah, as you just summed up, that's that's the playing field. That's the way it's laid out right now. Some look. Some years you can feast. Some years you don't. It depends on who you're playing. Right. Baltimore is a really bad baseball team. We talked about that. We know they're not very good. And you know, I, I think it's it's like they feasted. The Red Sox feasted on last year. This year, the Yankees are feasting on. The Yankees are doing well. But the Yankees are doing well regardless of who they play. So I, I think, yes, some days you, some years you get the benefit of playing a team that's not very good, and some years you it, your division is loaded and you've got to play everybody in their role. That's the way baseball is. So it's not, it's not you could say it's not fair, but that's the way the schedule rolled out because the Yankees do play that, uh, like all the teams do, they play an uneven schedule, which is unfortunate. But the other thing is the Yankees get to play more games against the Red Sox, which is very good for the game of baseball. The Yankees get to play more games against the Rays, which is probably good for the game as well. Toronto's becoming a very good team. The division gets tougher, but, but you know, all you're playing good teams. And I'd rather see good games with good teams than see a you know, team walk over another team. It's going to happen. All those things are going to happen. It's part of the game. And like I said, some years, it's, you can look at it and say it's not fair. Other years, you can say, wow, look at who we have to play. It's not, that's not fair either. Well, that's just the way it goes. Well, the good news for the Orioles is they don't see the Yankees again until March, so they don't have to worry about Glaber or Gary Sanchez, which is good. Sticking with the AL East, I want to talk a little bit about the Rays. They're back 10 games from the Yankees, but you can't count them out, right? You could count the Red Sox out. You can't count the Rays out. I mean, mathematically, you can't count anybody out right now. I mean, you can count the Orioles out, I suppose. But, but, I mean, mathematically, a lot of teams are alive. And and really, but their focus is going to be on the wild card now. Yankees have such a big lead. I mean, could could a team come back with a force? you got enough games left where... But the Yankees aren't going to fold like that. But the team look at what I don't know what the numbers are. You have to look this up. But the Yankees in their last, it's like their last 20 games. The Rays in their last 20 games have gone something like 16 and four. The Yankees have done something like 17 and three in their last 20. Yeah. So this was a great run for the Rays, and that's got to be demoralizing because they had a great run and they picked up a single game on the Yankees, and they're still double digits out. So the Rays have a, a tough road ahead of them. Not 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 to be a wild card. They'll, they're going to be one of the wild cards. They're good enough. They will be. It might even be the first wild card. But the problem for them is they're going to catch the Yankees, and they're not. And the Red Sox are toast. I mean, toast. I know you can say something they're toast. They're toast without butter. They've got a fork in them. They're done. They're you went done. to their funeral I, last week. You said I did. I went to their funeral. I was in Boston. I said <laughs> I went to a funeral. I went to the Red Sox funeral. And you know, and I, I don't really enjoy funerals, but I kind of enjoyed that one. So, do you believe you in karma? believe in karma because maybe it was your funeral comment that caused this fall <laughs> what do you think <laughs> yeah of course it was i had everything to do with it i manipulated this whole thing this was all on me yep you're right <laughs> kevin I, I i take a bow i hope our audience understands this i appreciate this because i had enough of the red sox they really did they needed to have a fork in them therefore totally forked uh let's shift gears f-o-r-k-e-d forked f-o-r-k-e-d <laughs> yes so clarify no that no misunderstanding about what I just said. Let's shift gears. Uh, last week or the last two weeks, I had a lot of fun talking about just the history of yes and how we became who we are. Uh, 
And right. I think um, I've gotten a lot of great feedback. In fact, the feedback's been overwhelming, right? Yeah, I've, yeah, I've heard from so many people, and that I, I'm very, you know, and most of it has been most of the feedback I've gotten, almost all of it has been positive. So people are enjoying this. Um, they enjoy the, the the relationship you and I have. They enjoy the discussions. They enjoy our guests. Most importantly, the guests. So so far, we've delivered on the guests. Promise you, we give you some interesting people. We have from David Cole to uh, John Sterling. And today, our guest is Chris Russo. So that's pretty three for three. That's a pretty good batting average. That is a good batting average. And I want to keep the momentum going a little bit with this history of yes stuff. Um, okay. Given that you're in the hospital, um, we have not had a production meeting. So you don't know what I'm going to bring up. Uh, is that true? Yes. Yeah, I have no idea where you're going to I'm like a lawyer. I don't oh think. God. Don't say that. Don't say that. I don't think we're going to uh, fool anyone by thinking we did have a production meeting given the past 10 minutes. Uh, By the I, way, they certainly. <laughs> you and I have not talked about anything. Holy cow! Okay, so my history of yes topic this week. I want to talk about the first Yankees booth, and I believe the first Yankees booth was Michael Kay, Jim Cott, yes. and Bobby Mercer. Is that right? That's correct. Why did you pick those three? You did pick those three, right? Uh, it was. It was pretty much. It was really more like a committee. It was. I mean, although my input was considerable at the end of the day. It was George Steinbrenner who had to approve everything, and Randy Levine because we needed Yankee approval on the, on the announcers, and some of them had been there before. Jim Cott had been there before. Bobby Mercer had been there before many years actually, and the the change was going to be at the play-by-play position, and that was that was Michael Kay. Um, I I fought for Michael Kay. I wanted Michael Kay. Uh, not that they didn't, but they were very they considered their radio team of John Sterling and and, and Michael Kay. We sacrosanct. They didn't want to break up the radio, and I told him they had to. I was convinced that he could handle whatever we threw at him. It must have been a work in progress. I knew that, but I knew that Michael could do this and do it in a big way. So uh, he was. That's where I went. And the other, and Mike, uh, Jim Cott had been there, and Bobby Mercer had been there. Bobby has been at the Yankee Institution. Fans loved. The fans loved him. Um, that he was never questioned. Bobby was going to be part of it. The Yankee fans, first of all, he's beloved. He was beloved by the Yankee fans. And uh, he really, and he became from not from not having any experience at all. He actually became a pretty good broadcaster. So he was solid in respect of what we were trying to do. Remember, we our, our mission was to further the the Yankee brand and to build the guest brand, and to build. All right, we wanted to build our own identity. We also wanted to further what we had with the Yankees. And Bobby was the perfect person. Bobby was an ambassador for the game to the game baseball and also to to yes. So you had someone who was an ambassador. And was able to, uh, you know, um, you know, sort of underscore the values and production values that we were trying to get out, which was that you know, we were going to be a quality network. We were going to be quality every place, every position that I'd be behind the mic or in front of the mic, whatever, whatever positions we had, we wanted to be the gold standard. That was the mission. You know, we wanted to be, and to do that, you have to hire, you have to have good people, people who are professional, people who work hard. People will understand what you're trying, what what the group is trying to do, and Bobby got it right away. He understood that, and the Yankees were extremely supportive. They wanted Bobby. To, Mr. Steinbrenner wanted Bobby. You know, we all thought that was a layup, that was a given, and it was as far as I was concerned. There was the other talents that were not questionable, but that we had to find, and we had to make sure that they meshed the group, and that uh, you know they were they were acceptable to the Yankees. So it was a that was not easy to do. But at the end, the end game was very successful. Though we got the right people we wanted over time, we built a booth that we could all be having David Cohn and and Paul O'Neill in a booth with Michael Case is a solid booth to do a baseball game as you can find anywhere. I really believe that. I believe that the aggregate talent in that booth is as good or better than the aggregate talent in the country of any organization group that does games. You mentioned Michael Kay. He's one of the best in the yeah. business. Uh, I, I think, like Michael very much. Yeah. I, I think we take a deep dive on Michael K in a future episode. Uh, but bef- we will. We'll have Michael as a guest one of these. Yeah, one yeah. Of these fine weeks. For sure. Um, but before we move on, there is some news on Michael K. Am I right? Yes. Uh, Michael will come back the the weekend. He's working games Saturday and Sunday. First to the Indians, and those are his first games back since out with the illness. So he's gotten the green light to go ahead, and uh, that's where we're going to go. So that's that. That they will be his first two games back. 
You got another text and another. Yeah, I know. Voicemail. <laughs> I, I, it goes off. The beat was to do. I love it. I'm happy to see Michael back. Uh, I'm also happy to say that on the other side of the break, we'll talk to Chris Mad Dog Russo. So don't go anywhere. You know FOMO. Fear of missing out on this. Hit in the air a mile to left. And this. They come all the way back. Or this. The first team to homer in 28 straight games. Let nothing come between you and your Yankees on Yes. Welcome back to Curtain Call, John Filippelli, Kevin Sullivan, very special guest, Christopher Mad Dog Russo, one of the greats in sports talk radio history. Now they has a show on Sirius, has his own channel on Sirius. He's got everything going for him here. He's got a show on the MLB Network, High Heat, and one of the real good guys in the business. Chris, welcome aboard. How are you? Uh, Flip, good to hear from you. Kevin, well done, pal. How you doing, okay? Doing well, Chris. Thank you. All right. Flip, things yeah, good? Give yeah, me a little rundown. How you right. feeling, Think, okay? I'm feeling all right. I appreciate you asking. Uh, life is good. Uh, we're uh, having fun. We're uh, venturing into something different. We've, uh, we're in podcasts now, and I think everybody has a podcast, but we want to do one that's a little more unique, and uh, we're hopeful to get uh, guests hey, like you make the difference. Show. You got Yes, you got Costas, you got Sterling, and I like the Sterling Real Sports piece, by the way, which I saw. Obviously, you got Cohen, you're off to a good start, so anything you want me to do and answer, I'm all yours, you two. Go ahead. Let me hear. All right. Well, I'm going to start with this. I want you to tell me a little bit about the psychology of when you start in the business. Like, you, we all start in the business. We have to get our first job. You start, you're beating the bushes, I think in Florida somewhere, where your first real break, yep. Jacksonville. And did you ever, your wildest dreams when you're in Jacksonville and you're looking at the clock and you're in breaks and you're saying to yourself, I'm, I'm paying my dues, I'm working hard. Do you ever say to yourself, like, where's this going to end? How do you think this is going to end? And did you ever think you'd ever be as successful as you turned out to be? Well, I got the break of all time, uh, Flip, because remember, I went to Jacksonville in the winter of 1983 after I had graduated college seven months prior, and I did that to get a job with the Jacksonville Suns double-A baseball team, and I did that, go down to work for Jacksonville for a couple of months, do some sales stuff for them, and then end up uh, maybe doing their games. That was a Southern League. They played 140 games. I wanted to be a baseball play-by-play guy. I had actually gone to the winter meetings in Hawaii to get this Jacksonville Suns job. So when that didn't pan out, they fired me about a week before the season began in late March. I kind of strolled into a dawn-to-dusk radio station, and they uh, they hired me, and then a guy left, and the next thing you know, I'm, in, I'm doing weekend sports talk. So I was very lucky because originally I really wanted to do play-by-play, and as it turns out, three months into it, I ended up doing sports talk. And I'm much more accustomed, adaptive, and, uh, and um, uh, better at talking sports than doing the play-by-play. So I wanted to go do v- go be Vin Scully, and I turned out to be John Sterling, who I used to listen to <laughs> as a kid. So I, I got the break of all kind because I kind of fell into sports talk. Didn't fall into radio. But I kind of fell into sports talk based on the fact I joined a station. They gave me a show on weekends. And the next thing you know, rudimentary. I mean, not a big-time station, but I'm doing professionally some sort of sports talk, which obviously got me going here. It's one thing to get a break, Chris, as, as we all know. It's another thing to capitalize on it. And you not only got – you did get some breaks. But you know what? You were in the right place at the right time, but you made it work. So you deserve a lot of kudos for that, right? Where were you when you first heard the call letters WFA? Where were well, you? I was at WMCA. I had, uh, eventually I left Jacksonville, went to Orlando, and then I ended up at WMCA. Rick Scalar, the old guy who promoted the Beatles concerts in the mid-60s at Shea, he hired me out of a broadcasting magazine ad. I had applied. He hired me. And I was doing sports talk on weekends at MCA, 570, which in the old days was a huge station. And when I got there in 87, it wasn't. But in the old days, it was a big station. And I got there in March of 87, and FAN started July 4th of that weekend. So I was at MCA for four months, and then FAN started three months later. I never thought it was going to work because I thought, you know, doing all-day sports, you're tuning out half your audience being women. So I never thought it was going to be successful. And lo and behold, I, I ended up there about a year and a half later. But I did not think that much of the idea. I actually had spoken uh, to their old GM, Scott Meyer, uh, sometime late summer of 87 and 80, uh, 87, 88, uh, 87 specifically. And, you know, he was interested. I sent tapes over, but I didn't think anything of it. 
And then I got lucky because in December of 88, you know, they brought me over there to fill in, do some weekend work and everything else. And then Mike and I started about uh, eight, nine months later with little IMA stuff in between. So didn't think FAN was going to be a big deal. Uh, was at MCA New York. Nobody really heard me. He's low key, 570 in the dial. Sort of got my feet wet. And by the time I got to FAN during that San Francisco, Cincinnati, Montana, the John Taylor Super Bowl, I was on the day after that game on a 3-7, to seven, Pete Franklin was off. Um, after, after I got my feet wet there, I mean, you know, Mike and I hit FAN at the perfect time. And so as a result, you know, Mike and the Mad Dog. But I was in New York for about two and a half years before Mike and the Mad Dog began. I started in radio in 83 in Jacksonville. I was 23 years old. Five and a half years later, or six years later, I'm on drive time in New York City. That's a, I was lucky. That's a pretty quick jump in a six-year period. Chris, it's interesting that you say you never thought that FAN would work. And uh, similarly, I'd like to know where you were and what you were thinking when you heard yes. Did you think yes would work, right? Because we were one of the few, first few RSNs. Well, I know the, t- the one thing I did, and Flip won't like when I say this, I called Michael Kay, who has had a nice team going with uh, Mike uh, with uh, Sterling during the Yankee games. You know, he did the, the innings and everything else. And I called Kay, and Mike had told me that he was going to, yes. I said, really? You're going to leave Sterling to go do TV with the yes and the Yankees? <laughs> I thought he was making a mistake. That tells you what a dope I was. <laughs> Not a visionary, that's for sure. Um, but so from that standpoint, I was one who thought that Kay should stay put because it was such a good team. They had a good relationship. They worked well together. And then I was fortunate because the guy next to you there, Kev, um, you know, brought me into his office on a couple of occasions, um, brought me down to the Greenwich Country Club and Mike as well, and said, you know, we like to do a little simulcast. I think that began in 03, if I'm not mistaken, Flip. Yes. I'd like, be- like to do a little simulcast to two of you. And, Chris, we know you don't love the Yankees, but we're hopeful that you can tame – he didn't even need to tell me that. But, you know, you understand that you're on the Yankee Network, but – so we'd see what he got to say, but let's not go overboard, which is very fair for him to say. So Flip, you know, stepped out and brought Mike and me in on board. And remember, we're just doing a talk show on TV. And I thought that would be successful uh, because, yes, was so established at the time. I thought that had a chance to be successful. But originally I told Mike, okay, stay where you are. You're in a great spot where saying, why the hell do you want to go to work Yes, Yankee baseball uh, uh, on TV? Stay on the radio. <laughs> so that tells you what I knew. I was dead wrong, but then I was ended up working for yes for five or six years and the guy to your right never one time he had to calm me down once but other than that the guy on your right let me do what i wanted to do so give him credit well i appreciate that chris uh, i you know i remember the one time and it really was one time i mean we talked many times uh, you mike and myself about editorial who had the right of editorial and it was obviously you guys that was the deal that we had made you had the right to say whatever you guys really wanted to say, express your opinion any way you wanted. There was just one time I remember that uh, you guys went at uh, Mr. Steinbrenner when he was compromised. I don't think you guys knew that he was compromised. I mean, I did. So I was very sensitive to it. And you guys sort of went after him on some stuff. And I called you guys and I said, look, man, you got to lay off of this because I know things you don't know. He's not well. And if you talked about your father or your grandfather like that, you know, they would be pretty upset. So I want you to cut me some slack. And I said, guys, you've got to do this. I swear, if you don't do this, I'll, I'll take you off the air. That's how upset I got. But that was just one time. That. And that, one time. The other time, too, uh, Flip, you took, we, we met at the uh, Greenwich Country Club because, you know, I lived up in New Canaan. Yes. You were in Greenwich. Right. I stopped down on the way to work. To, you, we had breakfast. I used to play golf with your wife all the time. She's great. She's great golf. i got a Good whole month since you saw athlete. you. Yeah, I, we used to... Um, and we had breakfast, and you just gave me the lay of the land a little bit there. So I, uh, although I probably annoyed a lot of the yes people, I think overall the Mike and the Mad Dog deal on yes was a successful venture for the for 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 the for both organizations. Let's you were the way. you were the part of it was like the Beatles. Okay, you were like you two were as big as they come in sports talk radio. You owned the town of New York. You were trendsetters. You were pioneers. WFAN was a pioneer station. You guys were the, were the toast. You guys were at your apex, and you did a great job for yes. I would never say one moment, whatever my small differences may have been at times over the years, they were small. I had a lot of respect for both of you, and you guys were allowed to do take that show. No, you the shows you wherever you did. You what we wanted to do, 100%. But Chris, you've talked about how successful we – how yes was – yes, my, so was Mike and Amanda. I mean, the most successful thing ever in the history of sports talk radio. Changed the entire texture, the, the, the whole landscape of sports talk radio. It was great. But it then – what one 
one point, though, it's not so great. And you guys are, the marriage that was so terrific, all of a sudden, is starting to dissolve. How does that happen? How did it happen? Well, I mean, I, I think, uh, and you were good on that. Um, you were very good on that 30 for 30 there, because you were on that Thank a lot. We, uh, you know, I, I, a variety of things, you know, a couple of old women getting annoyed at each other, an old married couple, you know, that probably, maybe I got a little annoyed with the Yankees constantly, some things I did, some things Mike did, I mean, you get, you know, I, I think it was just kind of a little wear and tear, you know, I, I think that's the best way to explain it, a little wear and tear on the relationship, and it kind of, it, you know, 19 years is a long time, I don't think there was anything specific, there wasn't the, the straw that broke the, you know, proverbial camel's back. I think it was just a, a, a group of things. And then I was fortunate that uh, Carmazin was interested in starting a network. I was a little younger than Mike. You know, I was probably was not as oriented with the New York teams as, you know, I never loved the Knicks or the Yankees, right. as you know. Right. So he said, listen, uh, if you want, uh, you can come over here and I'll give you a channel to run and you can do what you want to do. And you can brand it the way you want to brand it. And so once I got that on my head, then I knew that the Mike and the Mad Dog thing was probably not going to end properly, and I didn't do a good job there of making that clear to everybody over at FAN. That's 11 years ago now, but I probably should have done a better job with it. But I think in the long term, I actually think it was the best thing that happened. Um, Mike and I got along really well after that. Um, I think it was important for Mike to sort of sprout his wings and, and do something on his own, not have to worry about me. I think I was looking for a new challenge, even though I may have gone to a place that not many folks were aware of, Sirius XM Radio. So at I the time, think, at the I time, think at, the at the time, right? right. I, I think at the, I think at the, at the time I did it, I think it was the right move. I, I you know, again, handled probably not properly by me, but I think overall, I don't think anybody, for the both of us, you know, we did the Radio City thing, you know, we've done a lot of things together, the 30 for 30. So there was not a frazzled relationship after that. Mike stayed with you. So it For a wasn't years, a yes, frazzled yeah. relationship. It was frazzled beforehand. I think it was sort of a breath of fresh air for everybody when I left there in the summer of 2008. Chris, the, uh, just to follow, you know, follow up about uh, Mike, when, when you guys were no longer a team, you, you went to Sirius Radio, Mike stayed on with the fan and with Yes. Uh, but there came a point over a couple of years, there came a point where, you know, we, we recognized that as good as Mike was, and he was, Mike's great. I mean, I could never say a bad word in terms of his talent. He's one of the most talented people in the industry. But the, the truth of the matter is the solo act didn't work nearly as well as the act with the, the two of you together. It just was not as good. So things suffer. Quality suffer. It's, 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 it's just not the same thing. And sometimes that can really be the, you know, the, the litmus test. And, you know, it was tough. It was tough for Mike. I don't know if he admitted, but it's, but by himself, not the same artist as he is with you. Well, I think, you know, I had the advantage of going to a place where a lot of people didn't know me. So I was able to start by myself, and, you know, it was, to a lot of people, it was something different. Mike had to stay at a place where he was with a partner for 19 years. Right. So, and I think the other thing that you got to keep an eye on uh, with our relationship is that, you know, I started my career in the radio, and Mike started his career with the teams and CBS and behind the scenes and all that research stuff and all the knowledge that he came up with, print and everything else. Right, right. So we had two different paths to the same spot. But, you know, I always looked at myself as a good radio person. Uh, you know, I, the pacing of a show, how to direct a show, moving it along properly, when to put a guest on, when to take a phone call, when to yell, when to just listen. And I think that served me well when I came over here. And I think that, if, if anything, that's probably what Mike missed, is the guy there that can, you know, to set it up and set the pacing of the show up in a proper, in a, in a proper direction. I missed Mike's knowledge and his contacts and the give and take, but I had the radio background to be able to do it on Sirius, which at the time was five hours a day. And Mike probably missed the goofball there who could get to the breaks on time and all those kinds of things. So, so you're like Ron Howard. You were like Ron Howard. You were like Ron Howard. I mean, you learned the crazy. Yeah, there you go. There you I go. I mean, Abbott and Costello, you know? <laughs> I mean, they worked together for so long as a good team, and one of them leaves, yet they're both are still going to do shows individually. Uh, it's, and I think it also what hurts Mike is that the, the, when I got to Sirius, there was nothing to compare me to because mm, it wasn't true. Mike and Amanda on Sirius. When I left Mike, you know, he had a Mike and he had to compare it to the Mike and the Mad Dog thing. Right. So anybody you brought in there, it was going to be tricky. Mike was in a tricky spot. Let's be honest, he totally. was in a tricky spot. I was starting something completely different. A break. Mike was doing the same thing without the same without the same components. Makes it harder for. Him. Yeah, absolutely, Chris. What interests me most as a listener is that I could never tell that there was tension between you guys. 
So I guess, how did you keep up that, I guess, facade, for lack of a better term, when you guys were on the air? And off the air, you weren't talking. Well, it was a lot harder when the TV cameras were on us. I'll tell you <laughs> oh, that. my God. I, Chris, I, I could I, see I it. Clip, I could see the shots. Clip knows that better than anybody language. in America because there was a – right before Mike got uh, remarried, and I don't know, it was maybe 99 or 2000. I, I'd have to go back and look when that exactly was. But it may have been a little later than that, after, after 9-11. But the, there was a time that for about three months, Mike and I did not say a word to each other. Now, if you were listening on radio – you, it's almost like we're doing two different shows. Uh, you know, same show, but two different ones. I was doing one part of the show. Mike was doing the other part of the show, no interaction. If you watch that on TV, as I'm sure Flip did occasionally, sitting in his office up there in Connecticut, you could say, geez, you know, Mike leaves the studio. Chris is not talking to What a mess this is. But if you didn't have it on TV, you probably may have not been able to pick all that up on the radio. So half the audience may have known, and the other half of the audience kind of realized that something was cooking. But as Flip will tell you, it was about a three-month period. Uh, I'm guessing it was somewhere right around 2002 when Mike got married. I have to remember when he got married to Roe. But right around that period, right beforehand, we were not getting along for a long period of time. And that would have been probably spring of that year. Mike got married in July, and then we were okay once the fall came. So there you go. That was the worst when we were not dis- we're not we're not talking. And it was it was tough. It's hard. You're doing a show with you know you go to the breaks and you can talk sports, but we didn't talk sports to each other. We talked sports without each other, and somehow some way we were able to pull it off. Well, the good news is that, like you said, time kind of healed a lot of those wounds. And with that in mind, do you ever envision a scenario where you guys are teammates again, maybe on a regular basis? I, I thought there for a couple of years ago, maybe there was a possibility when Mike was looking to make a change from from FAN and the fact that we had that 30 for 30 there in two summers ago. And, you know, I thought maybe there'd be a situation where we would work at least maybe a couple days a week. Um, that standpoint, I know that Sirius would, would, would have been interested in that. But, you know, for whatever the reason, that just didn't pan itself out. So I don't see that now. I did not too long ago. But I don't I, I don't see that right now. Uh, I, I think that, you know, Mike, it seemed like he's happy. We signed with, uh, with FAN. It's a new company, so they may not be uh, as, you know, you'd have to do, if you do a Mike and a Mad Dog thing, you got to do something uh, sort of a simulcast with both outfits. I've never worked for Intercom, so this is not like the old days when CBS Infinity owned the station, so it's a little different. So I don't see that right now. I did, though, and Flip will tell you this. Two years ago at that 30 for 30, I thought there would be some momentum. I remember that where night. Something, where something could work. I really did. That night, Chris, when the 30 for 30 was debuted, at the, it was a New York Film Tribeca, Festival. Yeah, yeah and it, it, the place was packed, and you guys came out to do a Q&A at the end. And, With Andrea Joyce. And, and yeah. It was great, and you guys got a standing ovation, and it was right on the, the heels of that of that, of that that release, which was ter- – I mean, I thought that was extremely well done. I think Danny Foyer and Ted Shaker, who did a, I knew, they did a really good job. I mean, that was a complicated subject, and I thought to try to get all of that in an hour was probably mission impossible, but yet they, they did it, and they did it successfully. But the reaction that you guys got that night and the camaraderie that you had between the two of you – I thought for sure. I said. I said to my wife, Jenna. I said, "There is no way that these guys are not going to get back together." And part of me was actually one. I mean, I was rooting for that because the two of you together were were history. And you know, you always want to see that. If you can see it again, if you see what see what history redux is like, you know. That's, that's uh, my sense. Listen, I, I think there was. Uh, I felt the same way. I, th- I thought there was a chance something was going to happen there. Uh, that was when Mike was in the process. Now that was that would have been summer of 2013, and I no 2017, and Mike left in December of 2017. Took a break, and then came back. As a matter of fact, I also did a show with Mike at CW Post at the Tittas Center, which was November of 2017, and that was a month before Mike was leaving. And I thought even then that there was a chance that, uh, you know, Mike, let, 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 let him finish off here at FAN. He finished those shows December 15th. I actually called the last show, and I thought that would be a situation. It might take a couple of months off. Matter of fact, I actually had Mike over at the MLB Network the first day of the season last year. But, you know, I think Mike got back in a groove. He probably, you know, I kind of had a couple of barbs at his expense maybe, which annoyed him regarding Mike's returning to the, sta- to the station 
that probably didn't go over as well as it probably, I mean, it probably went over like a lead balloon there. So that probably, we just lost some momentum, Flip, yeah, to make a I, long no, story I get short. it. I, I mean, I was at Yankee Stadium one night, and uh, uh, John Littner and I, and uh, we were going to sit down, and who's in front of us is Mike, and uh, with a friend. And so I said, hello, Mike, you know, and he sort of looked at me, nodded, you know, I said, okay, well, wait two innings, I said, oh, he's in the game, whatever. I said, hey, Mike, how are you? Give me another nod. <laughs> so, so we were nodding that night. A lot of nodding went on, but really not, not a lot of words got exchanged. And so, you know, part of you feels badly, but part of you says, hey, you know what? I, you, you know, you do what you can in life, and, and sometimes people go their different ways, and, and you're in business for a while, and then you sort of get out of it. And there's no explaining it. It's just it's, it's human discourse, you know, and that's just the way it is. But again, in terms of what you two did together, it was historic. You changed the landscape of radio there. When you guys uh, started with one sports I mean, talk, there's thousands of. You know, I can find a cure of cancer. I mean, uh, whatever I do in my career is never going to top Mike and the Mad Dog. So and I, it took me a little while to realize that because I didn't realize the impact that we had on so many folks. But I, I did realize it, you know, shortly after I left. Boy, oh, boy, the people love the show more than I thought. Uh, and so as a result, uh, when I came over here, uh, I loved the challenge of it and putting it on the map. But I realized, geez, at least in this part of the world, Mike and the Mad Dog was going to be bigger anything I ever did. And so I, I you know, I kind of looked at this as sort of the back nine the, 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 right. of, uh, of a career, but I realized that that front nine, I set records. So it was going to be difficult to match it because the Mike and the Mad Dog thing, for a variety of reasons, Perfect Storm, the advent of talk radio, the 90s in New York with the Knicks and the Yankees winning and everything else, uh, five hours a day, the advent of 24-7 sports talk, uh, they're all like a giant super. There's a lot of things that went into it, but I hit it at the perfect storm. To make but you were Mike part of an I appointment. I hit it at the absolute perfect storm. And nothing that Mike was going to do without me and nothing that I was going to do without Mike was going to top that 19 years. As simple but, as that. But you were appointment. See, there's differences. This, this, you were an appointment. Listen, I remember George Steinbrenner used to always say to me, he'd say there are people who set their clocks and, and their whole day revolves around the Yankees. If they win, they had a great day. If they lose, they didn't have a great day. So a lot of people have their days either defined or partially defined by the success of their team. Yep. Okay? And your guys, you, you were appointment listen. People wanted to listen. It was a big part Especially of their at day. That beginning. They love that one o'clock. No what we're going to lead the show with. Boy, did they love that. Oh, my gosh. They love that, right? Yep. You would know better than anybody. I did. They did love it. And I'll tell you, we did pretty – our ratings were pretty good, all things considered. You know, because in the well, afternoon, it's a wasteland. Well, TV. There's not a lot you can do. But, you know, we had some big stories in that period there in 03. And you knew that if we had a big story that we were going to do a good job of getting a guest on and giving you a solid look at that story that particular day. That's That was the advantage for Yes. It gave them cheap programming per se, and they knew that was if that there was cheap, something Chris? going on, they were going to be able to cover it. You weren't that cheap. <laughs> you guys were that yeah, cheap. Yeah, I wasn't that cheap. You're right about that. wasn't that cheap. <laughs> you weren't that cheap. Uh, no, but you know what? I, I told the story last week about uh, Mr. Steinbrenner. We were at a programming meeting, and I was telling him we had this, uh, Yankeeography, you know, I center stage, all these different ideas. And I, at the end of my little napkin, I wrote N-E. And he says, what's N-E? I said, not enough. He said, not enough what? He said, programming. What do you mean? I said, we don't have enough programming. And he looked at me and said, get those two guys. And I said, what two guys? He goes, those two guys in the afternoon. I said, Mike and the Mad Dog? He said, yes, go get them. That was George saying that. Yes, that, that was George. That was George. That's how you guys came. And I, the minute I heard it, I said, boy, that's great. There'd be five or six hours of programming. and get touch on all the topics of the day. Big, big news. We get a lot of entertainment. It was absolutely what we needed. So it fit the bill. Listen, it worked for everybody, and that's what made it great. Yeah, it did. I, everybody, uh, you know, yeah, it did. It, it worked for everybody. It was something different for us. You guys, as you just explained, everybody got paid. And uh, so from that standpoint, it was a... It was well done, but uh, listen, all things got all good things got to come to an end, I guess, when you look at it in long term. But I, I think the bottom line is though is that uh, again, I, I I could cure cancer. I'm never going to top Mike and the Mad Dog. That's all there is to it. <laughs> Chris, before we let you go, I think we have to ask you about your Giants. Um, more specifically, I want to talk about Madison Bumgarner because that was a name that was thrown around a lot in New York. Right. Uh, are the Giants going to regret not moving yeah, Bumgarner? Yeah, I would have moved him. Good point, Kev. Uh, I would have. Now, I don't think that you could have gotten him on July 29th or 30th because by that time, the Giants are you know in the process of winning 19 to 23 games. 
So I don't think you were going to be able to get him then. I thought you were going to be able to get him maybe earlier in July when, you know, the Giants were playing poorly and they were not going to re-sign Bumgarner. I think the time to pounce with him would have been around uh, the turn of the month. Well, it didn't happen for whatever the reason. I know maybe the, the Yankees pitching was okay at that point. I don't know if the Yankees called the Giants. Clint Frazier for him would have been perfect. The Giants need an outfield with a little pop. They could have stuck him in left field. The Yankees with Bumgarner, I don't care what he does in a regular season. You're not going to convince me that if you give him the ball at Yankee Stadium against the Houston Astros in October, 50,000 there, he's going to respond. I don't care what he's doing in a regular season. He's a great competitor. He knows his way around a big game. And if he'd be on a Yankee team, you could match him up with any of the Astros pitchers, and he would have responded. Now, I think you had to make that decision in July 1, because I do think the Giants, it became harder for them to trade him. Bochy's last year. Giants playing well. Not too far away from the wild card. A couple of games over 500. I think the Giants, and I think ownership has something to do with it, too. You know, Giants are worried about that ballpark, putting people in there and everything else. So I think the the ownership tells the Giant GM, hold on now. Uh, It's okay if we're 50 out. Now we're close. Let's keep them. So I think that had something to do with it. But I do think there was a time he could have been pried loose. And I'm surprised he wasn't. And the Giants will regret, Kevin, uh, because, you know, they faded here. They've lost, you know, eight or nine games. They scored 18 runs in their last seven games. The Nationals just swept them. They're back under 500. they They're a long way away from the Mets, the Giants, uh, the uh, Nats, the Cardinals, and the Cubs. They're not even in second place in their division. Uh, they're not going to resign Bumgarner and give them all that money. So they are going to regret the day because there may have been a point, not July 30th, but there may have been a point where they could have gotten a useful piece, and that point passed, it, and now we're stuck yeah. with them. So it, there you go. It's complicated, though, Chris, as you know, because you don't know what the actual conversations Correct. were. I mean, because right. you know the Bumgarner's free agent at the end of the season. Right. You, may have said to, yep. you may have said, hey, I don't want to be a rental. You want me? I'll waive my no trade, but I want an ex- contract extension. And you don't know, you know how complicated these things can get. I mean, we can only speculate, whatever. But And Bumgarner did have a no trade to the Yankees, right. so that is possible. I mean, right. you, you don't know. It, but it makes. But what I really like about it, though, Chris, I'll tell you what, I actually like the move of baseball saying this is it you got to declare one way or the other we're not going to do the waiver thing fans get excited now because they point to that thing this is actually the last day that you can make that kind of significant move are you in or are you out or what are we we buyers sellers i think it's actually really good for the game i do too i don't even like it in august i know they've been thinking about moving it to august 15th leave it the way it is make teams have to make a decision on july 31st i'm with you 100 it's a real deadline i think it's a good move i think the one thing that is interesting and it makes it hard for the GM, does the GM go out there and make a lot of moves when he's playing for one game? And, and that's kind of the wild card game. And that's kind of the spot a couple of these teams are in. I mean, obviously the Giants are in it with the Dodgers being 20 games ahead. The A's are in that spot. You know, you can make an argument the Mets were as well with the Braves. It, you know, when you're eight, nine games out on July 31st, you can count on one hand the amount of teams that have ended up in the postseason as a divisional winner in that period. So then you've got to make a trade or make an improvement based on playing one game at the end of the regular year, not a series, a game. I think that makes it tricky. And I think, you know, the Giants are in that spot. I think uh, the Indians maybe with Bauer are in that spot, and then they traded them anyway. But there were a couple of teams in that spot. Uh, with the one game compared to series. It's easy to improve your team when you know you got a series ahead of you. When it's one game, it gets a little tricky. One team that did make a move was the Astros acquiring Granke, among others. Uh, Chris, with that in mind, and remember you're talking to Yankees fans out here. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> Yankees or Astros, who's the uh, who's the team to beat in the American League? Well, I'll tell you right now, I know you're going to sound this is crazy, and I've been saying this on TV and radio the last couple weeks. I think home field for these two teams is very, very significant. I understand the home field uh, team with the best record might get a harder wild card opponent with pitching like the Indians compared to Minnesota. First round could be a little harder, but boy, I tell you, I want those two last two games in my building. The Yankee bullpen against the Astros in their building would be a big advantage. If the series was in Houston, you know, it'd be a little less. The Yankees lost there two years ago in that spot. It wouldn't be as, as, as advantageous. So I think it's dead even. Um, uh, you know, I don't love Greinke in the postseason. He's never been a big postseason pitcher. But, again, the Astros have Verlander and Cole that they can throw out there. Cole's got something to prove, too. But they got Verlander and Cole they can throw out there. And the Yankees, for the first five innings of a 
games, one, four, and seven against Houston, would be a little bit of a disadvantage against Verlander. But if they had a home field, and right now they're tight, that's going to go right down to the end. I actually think that's important. I know that sounds wacky in baseball. Who cares about home field? But I do think that the Dodgers lost with home field two years ago, lost with home field uh, uh, against Houston. But I do think that's significant, that home field advantage. Uh, I give the Yankees a hell of a chance to um, get to the World Series. I think the World Series comes down to three teams. I don't think the Braves, Minnesota, the Indians, Houston, the Yankees, and the Dodgers. One of those three, that's pretty easy. Everybody agrees. They are by far the three best teams. I think they'd be a Game 7 in the ALCS, and I think they'd be a Game 7 in the World Series with the Dodgers sitting there. The Yankees are are taking a a calculated gamble, though, in that uh, they could get Severino back, and Severino could be somewhat in the form that he's been when he's in his... Maybe Batanzas, too. Maybe I mean, they they really have to bank on that since they weren't able to get the pitching help that they they sought. The Yankees will need to be a little healthier. The Astros... I'll tell you something else is going to help the Astros is that Aaron Sanchez. You know, he pitched a great game oh, last week. Tremendous. He's got good stuff. It didn't work with Toronto for whatever the reason. He'll, be, he'll listen to Verlander and Greinke and that Astro coaching staff. He'll pitch well for them. So the Astros got better starting pitching than the Yankees do. The Yankees have a better bullpen. And I think the Yankees probably, when healthy, got a better lineup, more power. Uh, you know, they have a, the Astros' catcher is not great. I don't love Reddick. Right. The Yankees don't have a weakness. The Yankees, one through nine, have a little bit of, have a better lineup. But I, I, I think they're dead even. I think that home field is very significant. I really do. I mean, with all the injuries, I'm going to go the Yankees 1 through 20. <laughs> That's true, too. Because they've, they've uh, the had replacements and replacements right now, for replacements. Way, I think coming, Stanton coming back makes it harder for the Yankees because it's going to take him a little while to get his timing. He's going to have to play. Yeah, true. You know, he's not like he's, they're going to sit him. He's going to play, and he strikes out an awful lot. That would worry me a little bit that he kind of upsets the passing of the batons thought that the Yankee lineup has. But that's a problem they're going to have to deal with, and you know it might be a good problem to have. Anyway, he might get hot. Uh, that would cons- I think the Yankees are almost better off without having a guy who strikes out a lot in the middle of that lineup. You know that? No doubt. Uh, Chris, we know you have to do high heat, so we thank you for your time. It was, you're a great guest, and you're a good friend, and uh, wish you nothing but continued success. So thanks for taking the time for us. Good job, gentlemen. Kevin, well done. Flip, you know I love you. Keep it up. Uh, I love you too. Thank you, Chris. Take care of yourself. Okay. Bye-bye, Chris. Well, Flip, to nobody's surprise, Mad Dog was amazing, wouldn't you say? Uh, I echo that. I thought he gave us a – it was a fun interview. I mean, he's had a fabulous career, and uh, it's been part of history. And Mike and the Mad Dog changed the, the, the landscape for sports talk radio. So, uh, so there's a lot there. There's a lot to be proud of. And uh, Chris has then gone on and, and uh, you know, started serious and changed the nomenclature of the business there, too. So – so he's done a lot, been part of a lot of sea changes, but he's also uh, also a very good guy. He's involved in a lot of charities and things, and we have a lot of respect for Chris Russo, and I'm, I'm very happy. We're very happy to have him as a guest. And one of the things I really appreciate as an interviewer is that when you talk to Mad Dog, you really just have to ask one question, right? And he just goes. Yeah, I mean, you know, he look, he's he's one of the best talents in sports talk radio. Uh, he helped build sports talk radio. He and Mike Francesca together had, uh, and he's one got on and done something serious or whatever. But he he gets it, he understands it. He's uh, he's fun, and uh, he tries to relax everybody when he's around them. People relax when he's uh, not when he's on the air doing one of his rants, but in person we get to know him a little bit. He, he he's a few instantly relaxed and on him. You're instantly entertained by him. And as far as our our podcast is concerned, I mean I got the same sense of now he we relax with him. But he made it a fun interview, and it was it was hey, interview, he could take it any direction he wanted to take it, and he took it down the direction of you know entertainment and fun, which was the right direction to take. So it was an excellent guest. And it sounds like to me that he agrees that the Giants should have moved Madison Bumgarner, uh, especially now that they're four and a half out of a wild card spot. Seemed like a no brainer. You know, at the time it did, and it's still an interesting question. It's still an interesting. I mean, we still don't know. And we'll not know because we're not privy to the very inside of what a player wants to do. But the, the aspects of his contract may be, may be uh, prohibited from going certain places. We, we do not know what contracts are about. We don't get to see them. And, but at, at, the, at the end of the day, the bottom line is we didn't want to go. They didn't want to move them. And I think there'll come a point in time where they regret that, as you said, because their season will be such where they'll fall too many games out and they'll realize that they should have made a move. 
to get young talent to help them rebuild. But there's also it's Bruce Bochy's last year. That has to be considered uh, in, in consideration, no doubt. Flip, before we go, I want to say that this Sunday night after Yankees coverage, we have a new episode of The Feed. This episode features Mike Talkman, Cameron Mabin, and Austin Romine. We're calling it the Next Man Up edition. <laughs> That's a great name for us. You know, that's Talkman. He's become a player. You know, uh, when I say become a player, I've been able to now come through in the clutch. The different players now than when the Yankees, the Yankees first got him. Uh, you know, I said, why they do a move? This is another example of why the Yankees are miles ahead of other organizations, but the, because of their advanced scouting and their, their ability to identify talent and players that other teams don't see, is to me, it's just amazing. I'm not trying to be a homer here. I'm not trying to say things that I shouldn't say, but I, they just amaze me. That organization, I mentioned Tuneri a bunch of times, deserves a lot of credit. Brian Cashman's people have been great. They scout. They they get things. They they find they see talented people that other teams just don't see, and that gives an incredible advantage. And they saw it again here. Talkman's an incredible player for the Yankees. How about we do this? We'll let you get back to being in the hospital. Uh, let's sign off here and uh, let's pick it back up again next week. I look forward to it. Uh, we don't have our guests lined up yet, but we will. Whoever it'll be, somebody interesting, and it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. So, thank you. And by the way, we want people to participate. So we've got to give we've got to let them know how to they want to get in touch with us. How do they get in touch with us? They get in touch on Twitter at curtain call yes. If everybody listening right now tweets us, we're at curtain call yes. We will have not to give away too much, we will have th- thousands of tweets. We want everybody, this is your homework. If you're listening, tweet us. What do you want us what do you want to hear on the podcast? Who do you want to hear on the podcast? What do you think of that flip? I think it's great, and also any other questions they may have, uh, I think would be would help. Uh, the show is we're starting to grow, we're finding our mojo, and we want to continue that. So help us that. Send us any questions you may have, and uh, we, we will uh, we will work hard to give you the answers that, that you want to hear. Absolutely, we will take questions. We will take guest suggestions. For now, I'm Kevin Selvin for John J. Filippelli saying we'll see you next week. I look forward to it, Kev. Had a good time this week. Although I'm in a hospital, and uh, and that's another story for another time. But uh, thank you all for listening, and uh, we want your participation. And Kevin says, go through your homework. See you next week.